Well, this Christmas season at Prairie View, we're going to do something unusual by doing something common. It won't be common in the sense of being boring, unremarkable, or normal. Rather, it will be common in that each week we'll be reading the same biblical texts that other Christians and other churches and other places will be reading. In fact, they're the same scriptures that believers have been reading on this handful of Sundays in December for some 475 years. That's because our passages for these next few weeks will be guided by the Book of Common Prayer. This resource has served as a sort of worship template for Christians around the world and across the ages since it first appeared in the mid-1500s. Now, some of these texts will be familiar to us at this time of year, like the readings from Matthew 1 and Luke 2, for example. Others might feel a bit out of place. For example, this morning we'll read Psalm 122 and from Romans 13. But all of these passages have been used by generations of believers to prepare their hearts and minds for Christmas, and we'll seek to do the same sort of preparation here. So open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1, but be prepared to read from Psalm 122, Matthew 24, and Romans 13 as well. Each Sunday we'll have four different scripture readings for our sermon. You can use one of the Bibles here if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we go further, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. I pray that you would watch over us as we worship you. We all have many, many, many things on our minds, uh, whether it's all of the events coming up at church, whether it's all the events happening in our own personal lives whether it's things with family or friends or work or school or neighbors, whatever it might be, Lord, uh, we all are probably feeling stretched thin. So I pray that this morning you would give us endurance, give us attentiveness to look to your word. Uh, Lord, help us prepare our hearts and our minds for Christmas. Uh, Even though this is something that comes every year. We still need this preparation, and so, Lord, I pray that you would help us do just that this morning. Thank you for the people in this building. We pray for those who are in the sanctuary. We pray for those who are in the classrooms. We pray for the things that are happening now at this church, the things happening later today at this church. Uh, May it all be glorifying to you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. It was a dark and stormy night for God's people in the 700s B.C. The kingdom of Israel had split in two, north and south, shortly after King Solomon's death. And Assyria, the dominant political, economic, and military power in the region, was licking its chops. The north was in particular danger, but the south was at risk as well. And quite frankly, both of them deserved punishment from God in their own ways. So God sends the prophet Isaiah to pronounce his righteous judgment upon both of them. 
But even after all the wickedness and rebellion that God's people had been guilty of, and trust me, there was a lot, Isaiah's message was not only doom and gloom. We read in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What's the message of those verses? Well, simply put, as terrible as things are about to be for God's people, they won't be bad forever. One day God will act once and for all, to right the wrongs of a world fallen into sin. God will rule and reign over everything. People from every tribe, tongue, and tradition, not just Israel, will seek, find, worship, and obey God. And all the sins that led Israel into the mess they were in, The idolatry, the injustice, the division, and the violence that they had committed would be no more. But notice in verse 5 that Isaiah doesn't suggest that God's people just sit on their hands waiting for that day to arrive. Rather, knowing the light that will one day come, they should walk in it now. Now, with that all said, it remains the case that this glorious hope is still far off in the future. Assyria would exile the northern kingdom around 722 B.C. Babylon would do something similar to the south around 586. And both of these events were complete, utter, existential disasters for Israel. But remember the words of Isaiah 2. Hold on to them like your life depends on it. Hide those promises deep in your heart, mind, and bones. And no matter how horrible things get, know that there is still something to look forward to. Yes, darkness is coming. But Isaiah 2 tells us that one day the sun Will rise. With that, we move to Psalm 122, our second reading of the morning. It says, in the words of King David, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, 
built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Psalm 122 is one of a handful of psalms of ascent. These psalms would be read, sung, or prayed on the way up to Jerusalem during the three annual pilgrimages to the holy city. And this particular psalm of ascent is a psalm of thanksgiving. There's a tone of joy, praise, and even optimism in these words. Jerusalem is celebrated as this wonderful place of God's presence. And in God's presence, there is safety, unity, and justice. But perhaps the key word repeated throughout the psalm is peace. Peace. But as we just discussed from the context of Isaiah, Jerusalem would not always be a place of peace. When Babylon ransacked the city, the temple, the central place of God's presence, was reduced to rubble. The safety, unity, and justice that was supposed to characterize Jerusalem would be no more. But like we said, remember the promises of Isaiah 2. Things won't be this way forever. Even in the midst of this dark and stormy night, there would still be reason for hope. A light is still coming. And as we see in the closing chapters of Isaiah, that light would come in the form of a Messiah. And who do we encounter in the opening pages of the New Testament? Whose birthday do we celebrate each Christmas? None other than the long-awaited Messiah that Isaiah looked forward to, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus arrives, all the doom and gloom that had afflicted God's people for generations, the sin that had tormented the entire world, going back all the way to Adam and Eve, will be fixed. When Jesus is born, all the promises of Isaiah 2 will be fulfilled. The peace of Jerusalem seen in Psalm 122 will be restored. Right? Well, not exactly. It's only by God's grace that baby Jesus would live long enough to be called a toddler. And while he does live an amazing life, full of awesome miracles and authoritative teaching and absent of anything resembling sin, he also dies a horrific death on a cross, which is definitely not what people had in mind for the Messiah. And sure, some of Jesus' disciples will insist that he rose from the dead and ascended to God's right hand, but let's be real. Even if that's true, the world still seems like a pretty bad place. 
It's almost as though Jesus' birth and even his death, resurrection, and ascension are not the end of the story. There's something else that must happen after the first Christmas and even the first Easter for this fallen world and sinful humanity to be truly, fully, and completely redeemed. For that, we turn to Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. Jesus says there, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware of the flood, until it came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus himself points his disciples' eyes to something beyond his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. He points their eyes, he points our eyes, to his return. We're still waiting for the glorious promises of Isaiah 2 to be fulfilled. And the peace of Psalm 122 to be restored. And none of that can take place until Jesus returns. Hope is coming. Light is rising. The clouds are clearing. But as Jesus warns us in this chapter, we don't know when that day will be. So we must stay ready. Don't get so caught up in the mundane distracted by the routine, or consumed by the temporary that you forget the eternal. Because if you do, the flood will sweep you away. You'll wake up and everything worth having will be snatched right out from under your nose. You must stay ready. We're living in a sort of transition. We inhabit a time between the times. God's ultimate redemption of this fallen world has begun. It's already confirmed, but it's not yet complete. The final consummation comes not when Jesus is born, not when Jesus dies, and not even when Jesus rises and ascends. It comes when Jesus returns. And though we don't know when he will appear, or better yet, because we don't know when he will appear, we must stay ready. But practically speaking, 
How do we do that? How do we stay ready? Do we hunker down or do we store up? Do we go about everyday life or upend everything? Well, to be honest, we do none of those. To understand what staying ready looks like, we turn to our fourth and final text of the morning. Romans 13, starting in verse 8. The Apostle Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So how do God's people stay ready for Christ's return? We live as God's people now. Or as Isaiah put it, back in chapter 2, verse 5, we walk in the light of the Lord. There's that old saying, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. In other words, start living now like the person you intend to be in the future. And if you are a believer in Christ, you will one day live in the holy presence of God, laid out in Isaiah 2. You will experience the peace of Psalm 122. Whether you're dead or alive when it happens, you will see the return of Christ described in Matthew 24. So by the Spirit's power, start living the life commanded in Romans 13. Because the dark and stormy night that Israel found itself in, that all of humanity has found ourselves in, will not last forever. So wake up, sheeple. One day Christ will come. And though we can't circle a day on the calendar, we know we're closer to it today than we were yesterday. And we'll be closer to it tomorrow than we are now. So have hope. Look forward to peace. Stay ready. And walk in the light. In 1914, during one of the darkest and stormiest nights of modern history, something incredible happened. A Christmas armistice was declared on the front lines of World War I. British and German soldiers left their trenches and met on the battlefield to share meals, play games, and exchange gifts. 
In remarkable Isaiah 2 style, they put their swords and their spears, their rifles and their bayonets away. It's an amazing story. It's heartwarming, breathtaking, and inspiring to picture. But it was also short-lived. The fighting resumed in the days following. More blood was shed. And another ceasefire of that magnitude was not seen again in the several World War I Christmases after. Similarly, the Christmas season can feel like a pinch of light and a clearing of the storms of everyday life. Our hearts can be warmed. Our sentiments can be aroused. Something about the atmosphere can inspire us to unusual acts of service, love, and generosity. As we sing about peace on earth and goodwill to men. But like the Christmas armistice of 1914, it's also short-lived. It's only a matter of time before we're jolted back to the reality of life in a fallen world. And eventually, the same old battles wrought by sin resume. This reminds us that Jesus' birth, as beautiful as it is, is just one phase of God's rescue operation. It's crucial. It's something to rejoice over. But it's not final. Jesus can't just be born He has to live. And he can't just live. He has to die. And he can't just die. He has to rise. And he can't just rise. He has to ascend. And he can't just ascend. He has to return. That's why we can sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's why this morning and the entire season of Advent isn't just about looking back to the manger. It's also about looking ahead to the skies. Because the promises of Isaiah 2 haven't been fulfilled yet. The peace of Psalm 122 hasn't been restored yet. By God's grace, the light has begun peeking through. The clouds have started to dissipate. But the hope this world so desperately needs, the true end to the dark and stormy night that is our existence as fallen sinners, isn't here quite yet. And that only comes with Matthew 24, Christ's return. So stay ready. By the Spirit's power, heed the commands of Romans 13. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Love God. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Don't get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of Christmas 2023 that you forget your eternal purpose and reward. Stay awake, not waiting for Santa, reindeer, or presents, but waiting for Christ. Again, our world often feels like a dark and stormy night. 
By God's grace, we do get occasional breaks in the pain, sorrow, death, and decay that plague us, even if they're tragically short-lived. But it won't be this way forever. Light has already come once and will one day come again. The clouds are breaking and will one day clear completely. So this Christmas, look back to Jesus' first arrival. But don't forget to look ahead to his second. Start walking in the light of the Lord now, in preparation for then. And never forget that this story we find ourselves in, as scary as it is now, has a happy ending in the future. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for all the things that we get to do at Christmas. All the things that bring us joy, all the things that make us smile, all the excuses that we have for food and family and friends and gifts and service and generosity, all these wonderful things that we get to have at Christmas. But Lord, I also pray that we wouldn't get so content with these things that we fail to look forward to what we're really missing, to what we're really truly anticipating, and that is your ultimate redemption in and through Christ. Thank you that your redemption is already secure, that you have already saved sinners through the body and blood of Christ, his death and resurrection. But Lord, we also look forward to your return. I pray that you would find us faithful, help us be patient, help us stay ready, help us know that as good as Christmas is, there is something better coming. And I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on that future. Lord, again, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. We look forward to promises fulfilled and peace restored, and that comes in your presence. So help us stay awake and help us be ready and walk in your light until that day comes. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.